surprised? Certainly not. The first year we took it to the limit. Uh, what? The Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Steal the show. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. Stay tuned, your chance to win a pair of tickets to tomorrow's homecoming game between Louisiana and Arkansas State. 11 a.m. kickoff at Cajun Field. We'll do that on the show this morning. Dr. Brian Maggard and Nico Yanko at 8, Scott Shanley at 8.40. And joining me now, our friend in NOLA for the Pro NOLA segment, Mr. Gus Cattengill. Gus, good morning, my friend. Uh, did the little man eat way too much candy at Halloween? How's your son doing with these uh, sugar highs and lows? Gus, how is, uh, how's the little man doing with all of these, uh, these sugar highs and lows uh, with all the Halloween candy? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting is, um, you know, Mama's done a good job. Mama's told him there's a limit on how much their the candies can can be, and more importantly, I got to give Mama credit in this aspect of it. During the trick or treating, she uh, might have suggested what was good candy, what was bad candy. So it was kind of funny to hear him walk up to the bowls or <laughs> tables that had candy laid out. And he would stop, turn around, and go, "Mama's is good." So you know, I don't. <laughs> I think that's just good training. I mean, in terms of making sure that whatever came back in the bag, knowing that there would be a candy tax, aka for your betterment and you know, in health, uh, that would be applied later on to the bucket. I think Mama was ahead of the curve. You know. Oh, well, see, it's funny. You, I, you, you said she went and made sure he got the good, not the bad. I was assuming. Not health, but just the ones that you and her liked best. But it was it was actually a, a you know real, real parental concern there, and not just you guys trying to get the best candy. Well, it was a mixture of both, right? I mean, you could only <laughs> have so much, and especially considering, uh, as you know, with with, the, with young kids, uh, can't have that sugar high right before bedtime. Oof. So um, again, it was just a brilliant strategy and philosophy, you know, to make sure that during the candy gathering, though, which is, you know, all he's thinking about is he's trying to make mama happy and make sure that he gets the good candy for himself. And then, um, you look, at the end of the day, he does get some. I mean, yesterday both of them uh, had some while I was still finishing dinner. And you noticed, uh, Scott, that at least I did, um, they didn't share. Not a single person came up to me and asked me if I wanted a piece, and I had to pick up empty wrappers on the floor after dinner. So uh, I got a bunch of Willy Wonkas in this house, man. ESPN1420.com, Gus Gagill, our guest. Well, speaking of uh, great strategies, what what do the Saints have to do to get a win that I think, uh, you know, would win or loss Sunday, it's going to have big ramifications come January. I, I think this is the division mm-hmm. on the line. You look at the Saints and Bucks schedules later this season, how many games they'd be favored in. I, I, I can't put enough emphasis on just how big this game is Sunday night. If the Saints are going to get a win, what does the, the, the top strategy have to be here? Yeah, no doubt. You know, and I saw, you know, Scott Shanley on today. And, um, look, we had him on on Wednesday, and that was literally the last question I asked him. So um, ask him <laughs> if players 
have a little extra juice in games and weeks like this to take us behind the curtain, you know, let him answer that for you because um, I've always felt there is. And, look, I, I think the coaches and the players are saying and should say the right thing, right? I mean, they're talking about respect. They're talking about how the Bucks have gotten better. Um, look, and you've seen it. I mean, Sean Payton's touched on it. They're familiar, more familiar with the personnel groupings. They're more familiar with uh, what they want to do. Tom Brady in the offense looks more comfortable. The defense looks um, what ha- they they have been, to be honest with you. They've always been the team that I thought had potential and talent. They just hadn't been coached very well, man. Um, and it's an argument I had with my intern for so many times the beginning of the season, which is Scott, why he's an intern and not a show host, just because he thought that Tampa was not a good football team. I'm like, look, you have a quarterback that threw 30 interceptions, and he still thinks that anybody, I mean, my blood pressure just went through the roof today or this week when he kept saying, hey, look, anybody can be doing what Tom Brady is doing in that team would have six wins. I'm like, I think you're underestimating the importance of somebody to be able to go in there, provide confidence and leadership to do those things, right? Because if you're going to make that statement, then any coach, quote-unquote, can go in there and do those things. And if the Phil Jackson, um, you know, argument where anybody can coach Jordan, LeBron, and all that, there, there are some tangibles and tangibles that you have to do in order to win at that level in order to compete at that level and ready for that. And that's one of the things and reasons you bring in a guy like Tom Brady, because when he walks into the locker room, people go, he's won six Super Bowls. He's been there. He's not going to get razzled or frazzled. And if he does make some mistakes, which he does, he knows how to move on from and correct them or demand more. And accountability and leadership are the things that we talked about when it comes to the Pelicans. So, when you look at all of those things and elements put together, you add Arians, you add what Brady's done, making moves like go and get Fournette, who have gotten now a back that can uh, do things out of the backfield in the passing and run game, adding Antonio Brown, which I think, again, will be an element that's going to help them later on if he behaves himself in the season. I don't know about this Sunday, but um, it makes sense why they're a good football team and why they are where they are. So, um I, I, I'm with you 100%. This is a big, big, big game. Because you look at the schedule after this, if the Saints continue to improve or stay on the track that they look like they are now, um, the Chiefs are a game that I look at and go, Ugh. other than that, Vikings are a tough matchup always for this team. But, man, I think the Saints can win in all of those other games. So, I mean, the 49ers you saw last night without their quarterback, they're, without yeah, Kittle, they're just... they, yeah, they're terrible. So, you know, you got the Falcons coming up, the Eagles. You got teams that you should step on the field, Scott, and be a favorite. So, you get this one. I mean, I, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you can't go get that top seed. Yeah, they're going to be, after this week, they'll be, you know, look, it's crazy. Okay, so we're, we're this exercise is based on assuming you have – you know, relatively the bulk of your roster here. But with that assumption, and that's a big one in 2020, I'm looking at the rest of these games after this week, you're going to be favored in all but likely one. Even though you're at home, you're probably not going to be favored against the Chiefs. And other than that, you're going to be favored in every game. And I don't think you're going to win every one, but you're going to win most of them. This game, you get a game and a half lead in the tiebreaker on Tampa in a game that you're not favored in, 
you're going to be playing at home in the playoffs uh, for one or two games. It's it's just it's that big of a game, and when you got a quarterback at 41 years old, and 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 on the other side, Don Brady at 43. You know, you get later in the season, it gets a little more difficult. They really need to be at home if they want to make that run. So you just it's as big as it gets. NBC execs are just drooling right now between the touchdown record and Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown and. And even though Jameis isn't playing, or or you know he might, I mean Breeze has been a little limited, though he's going to play. You know, it, it's all of these all of these things make it huge. But you know, I think I think it comes down to, in my opinion, uh, well, let me let me let me at least be open about something. So I thought that Tampa would be a playoff team, but I thought they'd be more of a nine and seven type team. And my 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 reasoning was Brady's still good, but not what he used to be. And I don't think that that's off. But their offensive line gives me a lot of pause. That's still their weakness. They're strong everywhere else roster-wise. They're really strong on defense in all three phases. They've got really great skill players at wide receiver. The running backs aren't elite, but they're certainly you know not bad. Uh, Ronald Jones is okay. Leonard Fournette on a good day is you know you know what he can do. I mean you've got you've got it everywhere except on the O line. Now the Saints on the flip side. You know, their pass rush has not been up to par this year. It just hasn't, not by their standards. The secondary has struggled, but pass rush-wise, I mean, Cam Jordan hasn't had the season that, that that you would hope that he would have had or expected him to have. Sheldon Rankins is going to be out for a while. Onyemata has been really good. Marcus Davenport being back, the pass rush changes a little bit. I think he is an X factor here come Sunday, Gus, because if the Saints, there are two phases where I, look, I think I think the star players on offense on both teams are going to get theirs. I do. Breeze and Brady are going to throw touchdowns. Antonio Brown's probably going to score a touchdown. Alvin Kamara is going to be electric. I think Michael Thomas, I'm expecting him to play. I think he's going to have a lot to prove. I would expect him to have a good game. But I think special teams and pass rush on both sides because the Bucks' pass rush is really good, but the Saints have a pretty good old line. Bucks O line isn't good, but the Saints pass rush hasn't been up. So, which team hits the quarterback more, and which team wins the special teams battle? If that is basically a wash, and one team does one and the other does the other, then we're probably going to an overtime. So, I mean, it's going to be that close. But if one team wins those two phases, I expect them to be the winner on Sunday night. And um. It's actually my what I thought would be the you know every Wednesday I do what are the top storylines of these games, and um, you mentioned it right. I mean the quarterbacks are going to get top billing. I think the backs will. Obviously the receivers uh, will get top billing. Um, to me the number one storyline is which defense makes that one extra play. Because um, I really think that's what it comes down to. Look at week number one. And look at that matchup. And in week number one, you saw a game that um, obviously had a pick six. You saw a game that had um, another interception. And those turned out to be pretty important, right? Because you could look at the final score, and you and I talked about it after that Monday. That was a game that the Saints should have had 40 points in or not. But um, Bucks held them a couple of field goals. And then... You know, the Saints saw, and I mean, I did, which is why I thought it was a good win. I mean, when the Bucks got cooking, they went right down the field. I mean, they marched right down the field. You saw what Brady was able to do. You saw the rhythm that Brady was able to do. 
and, and put in and do all those different elements of it. So, you know, when you look at it all, um, I just think it, it, it's which defense can, can get that one extra possession that forces them into a field goal, you know? Which quarterback is going to be seen uh, going into the um, sideline, you know, slamming their helmet down because they're upset that, you know, they couldn't convert on a third and one or something. Um, and, and look, who is going to step up on the defensive side and make that play? And what I mean by that is, you have in Devin White a guy that, dude, I just, I mean, I loved him. And I, I remember doing a show and, you know, being made fun of uh, by John Forkett, who was on the show with me that day, um, right before the draft. I said, dude, I, I trade whatever I need to trade to go get me some Devin White, dude. Because at the time, you know, you had um, Luke Keekley and you know, Deion Jones was basically picking off Drew Brees every time they met. And, I'm like, look, man, if you can get a playmaking linebacker that can, you know, be a difference maker, such a big thing. I know Demario Davis has done nice and all that, but man, somebody can get there at the at that young stage and just be the leader on your defense would be incredible. You're seeing what, you know, Patrick Queen's been able to do with Baltimore this year, It'd be great, right? So anyway, back to White. The thing that stood out to me is two weeks ago at the Raiders, and I don't know if you saw it. I retweeted it, Scott. Um, when it was brought up, Shay Dixon, who follows LSU um, and covers LSU and recruiting and all that, he tweeted the video. And it was a video of fourth and one, Derek Carr um, scrambling, and they're at the, their own 37. It's an 18-point game, Bucks lead, and there's five and some change left in the ball game. Devin White, barely on the right part of your picture, close to midfield. At the snap, he goes off your picture. Car scrambles near sideline as you're viewing it. They're going left to right. He's just trying to get the first down. It's fourth and one. At the first down marker, here comes a buck at a million miles an hour and absolutely destroys him and keeps him from getting the first down, and that's Devin White. You know, and I'm looking at it, and I talked about it on the show the next day. It's an 18-point lead. There's five and change. I, I don't, I mean, technically, yes. I guess they are still in the game, but more often than not, a guy 30 yards, 25 yards away says, all right, we'll get him the next set of downs. I mean, it, they're going to take over two yards after where they just snapped the ball. He was just going to stretch the ball over the first down marker and, you know, and it'd be a new set of downs at the 38-yard line of the Raiders with, with five and a little more, some change to go. But to Devin White, that was ball game, you know, that he took it upon himself to go make a play. So I'm going to add to your point by that statement in terms of that sentiment, rather, who on the Saints feels that way? Who is going to go that extra mile, make that extra effort to make that play when a play doesn't seem like it's going to be made? Who's going to run the extra 10, 15 yards and make a game-changing play? Who's going to make ball game? Because I see a play like that, and the first thing that pops in my mind is that's a team that believes. That's a team that says, hey, on the other side of the ball, we got a guy who's doing everything he can. Let me do what I can on this side of the ball. So who on the Saints defense, man, uh, is going to do what Devin White did in that game? Well, I think I think from an effort standpoint and a want to, I think DeMario Davis has that in him for sure. 
Um, but he's not as he's his ceiling is not even though he was a first team AP All Pro last year, he hasn't been as good on the field this year. Um, and we could point to various reasons why or why not. Um, but if you're asking me, you know, who even though Davis was first team All Pro last year, who would you want right now on your roster moving forward? You would take Devin White over Davis. But I think I think Davis has that one too. And I think you know I I think he did force a fumble last week, but. Uh, it's neither here nor there at this point. But, yes, Devin White is a, is a special player. And the Bucks, you know, the loss of Vita Vey I thought was going to impact them a lot more than it, it has to this point because he is a really, really good defensive lineman. Um, and then, on uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, their win against the Packers was really impressive. Their loss to the Bears was, eh, you know, they struggled to put away the Chargers. I think just how they looked against the Packers is what, people have marveled over and they didn't look good against the Giants but like you said some teams they get juiced they get up more for one game than another it's it's that's that's accurate and they were not they thought they were going to come out and just roll over New York they're going to be a lot more focused when the Saints come to town Sunday night so it's not like this team has been just rough shot over everybody it's just that win against the Packers and a pretty thorough win against the Raiders as everyone's saying all right look out here we go. On the flip side, I mean, the Saints, they're – thank goodness for Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara because instead of 2-5, and five, they're 5-2. Five and two, But they just want to be playing their best football in January. I mean, that's what everyone wants to do. But you also want to be playing at home in January. And if you lose this game Sunday night, I think that goes out the window. Um, it's just it's just such a big game, Gus. There's really no other way to say it. My X Factor, I'll go back to it. Gus Kagiar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, ESPN1420.com. My X Factor in this one, I, I think, is Marcus Davenport and Deontay Harris. I'll give you two um, because I talked about special teams and, and really the need to get a pass rush. Give me one or two X Factors for you in this game, whether it be from the Saints or from the Bucks. Weather? Can weather be a factor? Yeah, um, yeah, shoot. It could be it could be weather. Uh, <laughs> however you want to say it, that thing's supposed to be by South Florida. Sunday evening six dish is what I saw the weather channel. Jeez. You know, kinda of have that thing and we'll be dealing with it maybe rain wise Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. And you know, I you know, whether it's wind, whether it's you know, rainy conditions, things of that nature, a little gust, it doesn't have to be what we experienced, you know, a little bit ago here with Zeta, but like a 20, 30 mile an hour sustained winter or gust at the wrong time, Will Lutz is lining up to kick a 40 yarder. is looking it up. You know what I'm saying? So, um, how about timeliness of the weather would be my key here, right? Timeliness of the weather. Let's be honest, both quarterbacks are in their 40s. I think Brady still shows me, man, he's still got a pretty good arm. Um, Obviously, the out routes are where these two quarterbacks aren't the same. But Brady can still throw the vertical ball um, a lot more than I think Drew can. And that's probably a lot of physics in terms of he's taller and things of that nature and he's bigger. Um, but I think they can do enough. And I think they can do enough job-wise. But when you look at it all, man, um, I think that could be a bit of a factor. But in terms of players... Here's here's one that I brought up on the show this week, Saints-wise. Um, I think Traquan Smith, okay? So I'm looking at from week one to now, how have these teams changed? How have they got better? 
and where they've gotten um, the biggest contributions from, say, non-stars. you know, stars. And to me, for the Saints, it's Traquan Smith. Since week one, Traquan Smith has earned the trust of Drew Brees. Since week one, Traquan Smith has helped, you arguably say, win a game for the Saints, making that catch at Detroit. Look, last week, he had a nice game against the Bears, right? Seven targets, five grabs. Um, he's at the point now, I think, where when the ball goes to him, I think Drew thinks it's going to be caught. I, I'm trying to think if I'm, you know, seeing games in, in the recent past, man, where Drew's thrown him the football and you've seen Traquan drop it. I, I, I really have it. So that's a big element here, right? Because Breeze goes to line of scrimmage. You see a guy in Kamara right now that has, what, 55 receptions or so, and it was a big topic this week in talking point of how many times and how many receptions Kamara has had and how he's becoming you know, a really big threat to the receiving game. Well, at the same time, um, when you go to line of scrimmage and, and Thomas is now back, if he's back in plays, and Sanders is back, and Cook's been huge, on this team showing that he doesn't need that many targets, but the two or three might be a touchdown or a big first down, like in week number one. So now you're providing a bunch of different options for Drew is what I'm getting at. And that's a lot of attention is being paid to. And I think the Saints have gotten to the point, and again, this is one of those games where the Bucks may have the right coverage. They may have the right, you know, everything. And, and Bree says, I'm going to go to Traquan. Or the others are covered, and he trusts enough to make those progressions now in reads. You remember earlier the season, I kept telling you, I'm waiting to see Bobblehead Drew back. Remember, we're, we're so used to seeing, especially in these primetime games where you have the extra cameras, there's always one camera trained on the quarterback, and you know, at least one or two parts of the game, the color analysts will be like, look at Drew, go through his progressions, and it's slow-mo, and you see his eyes go left, middle, right, and bobblehead Drew, man, where he goes and surveys the field, you can see it. What is now, this is where the Saints are going to finally get to be. Because he mentioned it on Wednesday that he was starting to really feel it with Sanders. I think he trusts Traquan. If Thomas gets back, he already has that pull with him. He trusts Cook. He knows he can slip it with um, Alvin Kamara, who talked about Wednesday, that choice route, the 47-yard catch against the Bears, in which he chose that route through Reddit based off of what he was running and delivered that 47-yard strike. So, I mean, I, when you look at it, that to me is what's exciting if I'm a Saints fan, is that now you're going to start getting so many more options in that offense that we all hoped and thought we would see. It's just taking this long for to at least be able to walk up to the line of scrimmage that way. So I think Traquan could be a key X factor. Three, four, five balls may catch in this game. What if two or three of those are third down conversions? What if one of those four balls or three balls happens to be a touchdown because everyone else is keeping an eye on Kamara, Cook, Sanders, and um, you know Thomas, and there's Traycon on what I want to get their fourth or fifth best defensive back, and you trust the back shoulder throw to him. That's that's the difference in the game. So I'm going to go Traquan Smith in this game. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Uh, Traquan Smith. We'll see, man. His number. He was big against Detroit. We'll see how often his number is called Sunday night. But um, and and to your point, the weather, man. I, I don't know why I hadn't even thought about it. I guess you see a, a hurricane doing, you know, 
spinneroonies in, in the golf and you know all these different routes it could take my mind immediately just goes to you know oh my god are we gonna have another one come here i'm not thinking about it potentially clipping tampa at a time where there could be a game scheduled so um yeah uh, that's that's i guess nbc's biggest worry right now they want to they want a clean football game, but it might be anything but. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. Gus Kattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest, ESPN1420.com. All right, Gus, before I let you run, buddy, um, uh, prediction on the Saints and then a Drew Holiday question for you. I, I, I'm I kind of waffling back and forth here. You try to talk me on one side or the other. Who's winning Sunday night? I could see this being like a 27-24 game, and I legitimately think that the Saints have the talent to do this, man. I really do. I, I think Tampa has been able to show they can win on their defense, but I also remember in week one, and I've remembered in the past, Drew Brees and the Saints offense knows how to play that defense. Um, they know what they're probably going to get. They're going to see a wrinkle or two. Yeah, turnover's going to be a big thing, obviously, and penalties would be a big thing in this game. Um how, how do the refs call? That could be another X factor, man. I'm watching that Monday night game, and I'm throwing stuff, and I'm getting way agitated, and I need to be in a Giants game because I feel like the officials, you sneeze on a Bucks receiver, and it's a penalty. Yep. If that happens, Ball that's going to be brutal. Yeah, because, it's over. Yeah, because quite honestly, the Saints haven't been getting a ton of pass interference calls as late, not like they were at the beginning of the season. So um, that's the key to me. But I still think despite all that, I honestly think they have the best player on the field. And it's not Tom Brady. It's Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara is doing so much right now that it's impossible to think that Todd Bowles is not planning for him first. And, I mean, Thomas has got to get out there, you know? I mean, I, I, I know a hammy is a tough thing to deal, but even if he does what I would say, and this is what I'm going to kind of look at it, Go out there and say, like, you're Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's not going to play 40 snaps, right? Um, 10 to 12, red zone, third down situations, slant situations. I know the hammy is sore or you're healing it or the ankle. Can you not give me a five-yard slant? Can you, can you not give me a five, seven-yard out route? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you put, can, you, can you give me a route where your hands do most of it? You know what I'm getting at? I'm not asking you to, you know, give me a dig and go and all that. Can you give me a first down, you know, slant, third and four or something? Um, I think that's where I see the the Bucks using Antonio Brown. Red zone, inside the 10, third and short, putting him one-on-one with a Saints corner and taking your chances. So I, I just I just look at across the board, I know the Bucks have improved. I know Brady's feeling it. I know they want it bad. But at the same time, I think the Saints have better players all the way around. And you know what? Maybe it's Chauncey Garner Johnson's interview this week where, man, that, that guy was asked about Antonio Brown, and Chauncey was like, let's play ball. Let's strap it up. I'm happy for him. Like, he doesn't care. He gives zero bleeps. And Alvin Kamara was asked, what's it like to have Chauncey Garner Johnson at practice? And, he said, you ever want to get in a fight and you have that guy that you always want to be in a fight with? That's that guy. And he walked away. So this is a game I think Taylor made for a guy like him. And I go back to my Devin White point. Who on the Saints defense is tired of hearing their the weak link of this team? Who on the Saints defense is going to be tired of hearing about how great Tom Brady is and how this is their game and all that stuff? So I, I just think the Saints actually, as 
ridiculous as it sounds, have more to prove in this game. And maybe it's that extra edge, man. And I'm going to give you another quick tidbit that you and I maybe pick up more than others. Have you, did you notice Drew Brees' Zoom pressure this week? Did you notice how short all the answers were? Yeah. I mean, they might have averaged 9 and 12 seconds, dude. I mean, every, normally he's a 12 to 15 minute Wednesday interview, and they're long and elaborate. I mean, everything was like, Drew, what do you think of the Bucks defense? They're good, big, strong, blitz, and a tough challenge. I mean, it, in my history of covering this team, when Sean and Drew answer like that, they're locked in. Like, they're locked in. They don't want to say much, they want to give respect, and then they want to get to the game. And also, he's dealing with the shoulder injury. So, you know, let, let's see what happens. Man. I still think somehow, some way, Sean will be creative like he was against Chicago, where it was Camaro versus the Bears, essentially, um, to protect Drew with whatever is ailing him and to somehow be creative enough with all the weapons he has to win this game. I, I just, I honestly think the Saints can win it. Gus Kangale has been our guest. Pro Nola segment, ESPN1420.com. Lastly, Gus, uh, Drew Holiday, um, you know, all the various reports now, legit reports, not, you know, <clears throat> a blog of, hey, wouldn't you be a great addition here? But, you know, reporters that that that, that you trust saying, you know, they're, they're listening to offers. David Griffin, uh, who would be a great lawyer, you know, not saying no, but saying, look, we always do it, and and Drew's the best, and Lauren, and we're not looking to, but we always are. You know, he was he was really good in that response. Um, what's the what's the future look like for him, and and what kind of deal would it take for them to to put him, you know, somewhere else? Man, when that first report came out by Shams, and I, I think it was it was exactly what um, it should be if that makes any sense to you in terms of this. Um, I think the Pelicans are in a wonderful brokering position of power. And in terms of this, he is an asset and a, a commodity that is legit. He is one of those rare pieces where it could take a team to that next level simply based on defense, not three points athleticism and all those different aspects of it. It's literally because he could be a lockdown defender. And I think that's what's interesting to me. That you have, say, let's just take four teams in the East. Off the top of your head, the Bucks, the Heat. Um, Give me the, the Celtics as another team that would go on there. I know some have said the 76ers. I know really about that, but um, I, I just look at those teams in the East Celtics, Bucks, you can look at the Heat as well. And I'm thinking, you know, whether it's the Raptors, if they want something of that nature, but I just think there are teams that you could plug in him right now and it would make a difference. You know, the Nets, also another one of those teams, that fourth team I was trying to think of. But again, assets that you get in return, all those things, that's part of something that you would look into a trade like this, but my point of, of power is this the Pelicans. There's no hurry, right? There's no hurry. Um, you make it known that, hey, I'll take phone calls, everything other than the L.A. area code because, they're, you know, I know we're still waiting for results, but I can do a 99.6% poll in saying that there's no way 
Lakers, Bob Powell's fans, what is traded to the Lakers, right? So right. I think when you look at it from that perspective, man, that's what stands out to me. Um, How can you broker a, a deal where you can just sit back, as I said, kick your, you know, I'm gripping my feet on the desk, man. I'm just not my socks off, you know? I need a player that is young and can help me now in my starting lineup. It can bring me something that I don't have. Um, the only way a draft pick is the key part of this deal is if it's maybe top three. But other than that, I don't really know if I'm even that excited about it. I've talked to several people already on and off the air. This is probably one of the worst rookie class drafts that people can see in terms of impacts that they're going to be able to have. Not necessarily talent, but the lack of a college basketball season, the conclusion of it, and then most of this fall already. A lot of these kids haven't played hoops competitively in, in starting almost a year. So um, what kind of impact can they really have? You know, and you look at this past draft, which we all thought was pretty deep. I mean, Tyler Hero might be the one that's kind of stands out. You know, and I know Zion was injured and stuff. But um, it, it's just when you look at today's young basketball players, it's three- or four-year projects, man. I mean, even if they have immediate impact, AD would be one of those that I would say that. But even still, he didn't change a franchise and make them a playoff team immediately. It just doesn't happen. LeBron, four years, right? KD, you know, it just takes time even for guys that are probably going to be Hall of Famers. So, to me, draft picks don't dangle first. It doesn't do me any good. Um, I need somebody I can help right now if – I'm more importantly getting rid of something that helps me win now. And Drew Holiday helps me win now. And Van Gundy's defensive scheme and Van Gundy's locker room, I'm losing a leader. I'm losing a defender, an elite defender. And I'm losing a guy that I, I can trust and that wants to be here. That's, that's another thing. So those three elements are things that I come back immediately if I'm David Griffin. You know what I hear? Well, what about this? I'm like, man, you know, I'm the league defenders can help me. I don't know if I can do that. Well, what about this, man? You know what? Look, I'm losing a leader. Can this kid lead? Are you trying to give me? Is he a locker room problem? I mean, there are things that David Griffin can broker this. And if you don't get your socks knocked off by training camp starting here in, I don't know, two, three weeks, because we're about to start the season, it looks like, on December 22nd, um, you wait to the trade deadline. And when the trade deadline hits, and I know it's a risk that Drew stays healthy, but you know what? There could be an injury to contender they didn't foresee. There could be a contender that just says, man, we can really do this, but, you know, we've played them once or twice on TNT and, you know, the ABC game of the week, and, man, if we could have had that defender, we could have won that game. So it's a wonderful position that the Pelicans are with that because I think there's a mutual respect, there's a mutual love between the organization and the player. And it's a win-win. Drew can go try to win a ring. He's done everything that you could ask for him here with the AD situation, being a leader, being a community leader as well. Um, So you help him if that's the case. And I I think you can just see by the fact that he hasn't demanded to be traded. He's not asking to be traded. He's not saying anything. And David Griffin's answering the right way. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of offers the Pels can get. Gus Kangel has been our guest at GCAT underscore 17 on Twitter at GKATT underscore 17, host of the Sports Hangover, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. 
That is the flagship station of Pelicans basketball as well. Check out his show. A lot of great content every single weekday. Gus, always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and the fam. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Huge game for the Saints Sunday. I'm sure we'll be talking about it next Friday. And uh, hopefully it's the Saints in first place and not looking up in the standings. We'll see. Yeah, should be fun, man. Y'all have a good weekend. Take care, Scott. All the best, brother.